Welcome, welcome my friends to another edition of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. I'm excited this week to have two people on who are not only dear friends of mine, but also clients. I just want to be straightforward. They've been clients of mine for years and continue to be, um, as well as being dear friends. I've known Alex Jameson for well over a decade now. Um, you know her because she was nominated for an Oscar as a producer on the hit documentary Supersize Me. And she's also a chef and a lifestyle coach. She is doing amazing things, empowering women specifically and people in general. And her husband, Bob Gower, is a very successful consultant. And together, they have a book out. It's called Radical Alignment. We're going to talk about that and a whole host of other things. And speaking of hosting, if you want to host people who have issues with allergies, gluten, all kinds of issues, and you want good baked goods to give them, Abe's Muffins. For you, your family, your friends, Abe's Muffins, they taste great. They won't kill you. Kids will love them, but frankly, you're going to eat them too. Blueberry, chocolate chip, lemon poppy seed, coffee cake, cornbread, and their new fudge brownie is ridiculous. You won't want other brownies. They're fantastic. Also, new sponsor, Wellington Springs. You can taste the difference when you drink the fine water from Wellington Springs. It's as regal tasting as the name sounds. And uh, without any further ado, I'm just going to get right into our interview with the lovely and talented Alex Jameson and Bob Gower. Hi, guys. <laughs> Welcome to Is That Really Legal? Uh, it's really good to have you guys on. Thanks for having us. We're, you know, as I said in the intro, yeah, as I said in the intro, I've known you guys for a long time. You're personal friends of mine and clients, which is really cool. And you have such interesting backgrounds separately that merge together really interestingly. Um, what, first of all, when, Alex, your background was nutrition and obviously uh, an Academy Award nominated film. And you have a lot of those kind of credentials. You've written lots of nutrition-related books and, you know, healthcare books and women taking charge of their well-being. That was your focus. What brought you to working on this book with Bob? Probably because I have been really bad at having tough conversations my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and when I met Bob, we we decided we're going to get better at this together. We're both constantly bringing new ideas to each other. Like our conversations are like, Oh, I read this thing or Hey, I heard about this thing. Let's try it. And we both admitted, we both like, we're pretty clear. Like we've had some <laughs> rough relationships in the past that didn't go well right? Um, for many reasons. And one was because of bad communication. What does it mean that you have a hard time? I'm sorry, I'm going to play your role briefly, Eric, because I'm curious. Please. What do you mean about 
because because you you show up to me as someone who's very forthright, very strong, and and you know I know even in your twenties, as Eric said, you created this film that was actually very hard hitting in a lot of ways. So I'm wondering, like, what does it mean to you when you say you've had a hard time having difficult conversations? You certainly don't show up that way to me, and haven't since we got together. But I'm curious what that what what that means for you. Um. Well, I grew up in kind of a traumatized family and people didn't talk about the horrible things that were going on. So I didn't learn how to talk about the horrible, hard things that were going on until well into adulthood. I think, I think I'm much, much better at it now. And I think I became even better at it even as I was starting to date you, but my life history, most of my life, I have not been good about getting into highly emotional conversations where I could feel confident or negotiating on my own behalf or just even being clear. And Isn't that also part of, uh, part of being a woman in our society is, look, I'm older than you guys, but not by a ton. And it's only recently that there's been a shift in the way that women look at themselves and how society looks at women. You, you might have been in that category, Alex, of a very different role than a guy and you were not expected to have these tough conversations or you didn't have role models for those kind of conversations. Is that accurate? Well, interestingly enough, I was raised by a like hardcore hippie feminist, but <laughs> so we were, we were taught to speak out politically, like I was raised an activist, but we were not allowed to talk about what was going on personally in our home. Mm -hmm. So it was okay to talk about ending a war halfway around the world, but a relationship with a guy, you were silenced. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the people that were addicted to substances or committing suicide in our family, like those conversations were not being had. Well, that is... I was wondering what you meant by traumatic. So that's pretty traumatic. Yeah. So I think a lot of us have, well, I'll speak for myself. I still have the, sometimes I still have the nervous system of an eight-year-old who is trying to feel like she is allowed to have a voice or speak up and like nobody's speaking up on her behalf. Gotcha. And Bob, you have a completely different kind of way of coming into the conversation because your background is that of i'll call you a high-powered business consultant although i know you're shaking your head don't call me that but the reality is you have done business consulting for some really big fascinating awesome organizations and businesses and you have a different way of looking at things i think that's one of your strengths obviously you've written before and you're coming at this from a completely different angle. What was your way of coming into working with Alex on this book? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you say, I, you know, it's, it's, it's different, but actually when Alex talks about difficulty having difficult conversations um, as a young person or being raised in a household. So I was also raised in a household where we didn't talk about certain things or, or there was a very high cost paid to talking back and bringing things up. It was a very, it was, it, has, it was very stable in one way and very chaotic in another way, um, kind of splitting along parental lines. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and in my work, I've always sort of tended towards, you know, kind of do-gooder, like I've always wanted to change the world, you know, like I've always wanted to make a difference. 
Um, I was, you know, very liberal at a very young age. Um, when I, my first job was working in a recycling center in the seventies in outside of Philly. So, you know, like that was, you know, I used to smash bottles at a glass recycling center and really believed in recycling at a young age, but my, um, but I've always also ha always had kind of difficulty. I would get triggered in conversations very easily, especially with people who disagreed with me or would argue back. And I might even get triggered by, I think I present in a kind of more traditional sort of masculine way now. And I've learned how to sort of adapt in the business world, but internally, you know, like, frankly, you know, like big powerful men scare me, you know, like they, they can really, really scare me. And so I think I was always looking for a way to navigate that world in a constructive way that was true to myself, that had a positive impact, um, and also not wanting to become, you know, the bully myself, right? Like I had, because I had very, like a very strong, I, you know, I was bullied as a young child, and I certainly didn't, you know, I think sometimes people can internalize that and be like, well, I'm going to fight back. And that was never, you know, quite my style. So I think I'm always been, and I'm, I'm very relational as well. Like I really care about you know, like how people feel about me, frankly, <laughs> um, right. or, or care about having close relationships and, 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 and warmth and, and support and care in my life. And that's not always a, an easy thing to navigate. In Were you like me as a younger person? Did you have a lot of girlfriends? Maybe not necessarily you dated them, but you gravitated toward like me. I have, and still do have tons of women friends. It's harder for me to hang with guys. Is that kind of your deal too, though? That would be pretty accurate. I remember I, so I lived in Japan in the early nineties in my, in my early twenties. And I remember, um, somebody came by, it was my birthday party. It was like a brunch birthday party. And the, and, and this friend of this guy that I knew came by, he's like, it's only women at your birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I really hadn't like, I hadn't clocked that originally because it just felt normal to me. I think always uh, my closest friends have always been female. Not, I mean, not, not always. Like I, 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 I can, I maintain some several but close even, male friends. Even now you still have a lot of close girlfriends. I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think, I, I think that you and I especially are not into the whole, like comparing our lives against each other and who's doing better kind of thing. that feels like a very masculine thing in our culture. And we much prefer to relate and talk about experiences. And I know we're artsy and we like those kind of things. I mean, I enjoy watching sports, but it's not a big part of my life. But it's not even that as much as the sort of the way that people move through their lives. Certain men are constantly looking. You can just see them sizing up the room. Who's doing better? Who's doing worse? How can I ping off of that? And I feel like, uh, I'm sure I have some of that, but it's not, I don't enjoy participating in that. I think you and I are kind of the same. Just so people are clear, uh, the book is called Radical Alignment. And the subtitle is How to Have Game-Changing Conversations That Will Transform Your Business and Your Life. I love radical alignment uh, because they, it seems almost oxymoronic. Um, what were you thinking with that title or were you, you know, what's the deal with the title? Were we thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, thinking what's going to move units. <laughs> anyway. I mean, I, I, and to cop to it, I was part of the deal. I, I represented you guys in making the deal, but I had nothing to do with the title. Um, and the cover appears to be artwork from you, Alex. Is that accurate? 
It is. I painted that. That's nice. Yeah. And once again, I have one of your pieces in my home, uh, which is amazing. That's a whole other part of your life. For And you know, it's, I'm just going to kind of make a sideways slide into the law a little bit because the whole uh, raison d'etre of this podcast is about people in their lives brushing up against the law. I, I love the idea of the book for people negotiating whether they get involved, how deeply they get involved in legal proceedings. It's still, I, I think that's a very interesting way of approaching things. Uh, because sometimes you can avoid going to court, but you're still dealing with the law maybe in some other way while you use this book. Um, are there any things that you you guys feel right now at the top of your consciousness where you've had to deal with the law and it made a tremendous impact on you? I mean, I know a couple of things because I'm your lawyer. You represent <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple of times, yeah. yeah. I, can, I can speak to one, and this was pre this book. And actually, it was before we started using this tool together in our personal lives and in our business. And looking back, if I had known this tool, I might not have needed your services. And that was, I had a client, you know, I've been a coach for almost 20 years. I had a client who... Uh, you know, we had um, a program of six months together and like two weeks before the end of the program, she gave me a testimonial, which I then used and promoted my work with her testimonial. And she decided to freak out about it and say, I never gave you permission to publicize this testimonial. Right. And looking back, you know, because now I use what we write about in Radical Alignment. Looking back, if I had had those tools more honed, I might not have even signed her up as a client. Right. There were some warnings. There were some early warning signs, a couple, where now I'm like, ah, I, I should have seen that. Like this person would kind of flip. Their personality could change drastically. Because yeah, I was going to say, once once they came to you with it as a problem, they already hired a lawyer. Like when you came yes. to me, it wasn't because she was having a conversation with you. It's because you got a letter from a lawyer from a very large law firm in a big city, and it was out of the blue to you. But I agree with you. There are so many times, well, I've had the experience where you have that gut feeling, oh, this is not a good business relationship to be in. But the check seems really important at that time. You need that thousand or 5,000 or 500 or whatever it is. And you're like, ah, oh, you know, we'll just do it and we'll get through this and it'll work out. And um, so how does your way of looking at things now through, if we look at the paradigm or however, the way we look at things through your book, how does that counsel people to keep them from getting into what will ultimately be a toxic relationship. Oh, and again, I'll speak for myself here, but I think through writing the book and even through this horrible experience where I had to give back quite a few thousand dollars to this woman just to like say, okay, we're done. I am, I'm less afraid of getting really clear with people. I think I carried around this fear. And again, from childhood that if I ask all the questions, 
if I do the work in advance to get really clear with somebody, then I'll lose something. Like I'll lose them as a client. Like I'd rather get clear in advance to find out, yes, this is the right person. This is the right pro like get into radical alignment. It just means real clarity for me. I mean, it sounds like honesty. It sounds like being honest from the beginning. But it's not just honesty. It's because I don't think either of us lied as I was signing her up to be a client, but there were a couple of red flags where I didn't go deeper. I didn't, gotcha. I didn't, I didn't air my own concerns, right? There wasn't space. And that's, you know, what we teach in the book. It's you each share your concerns. You each share your boundaries. You each share your dreams. It's a two way conversation where there's a lot of client, acquisition or like sales conversations feel very one way. Right. Here's what I have to offer. You know, you need it. Sign here. I'll take your credit card. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the way I've been thinking about it and I, I mean the, the main place where I, I brush up against the law is, is in my contracts and you know, you, we've developed them together um, over the years, you and I, Eric. And, right. and I think my, and, and people in my business in the management consulting business, it's very common I, you know, I'm part, I, I, you know, talk to a lot of other consultants and we, we, one of the things we frequently talk about is getting paid, you know, like, well, we haven't gotten paid yet. So what are we going to do? Or the clients coming back and looking at the contract and saying, you know, like nitpicking or saying they didn't get this or they didn't get that. And what's interesting about all of that to me is, and what I've learned over the years is I really think of that what we're talking, like there's two pieces to any agreement. One piece is the logical, you know, you know, left or right brain, I can't remember which it is. Anyway, the logical sort of procedural bullet point, step-by-step, -step, sign on the dotted line kind of piece. But the much more important piece, I think, is actually the emotional component. Like Richard Thaler showed this in, in behavioral economics and, and Daniel Kahneman's talked about this, won a Nobel Prize for it, essentially. One of our favorite authors is a guy, Chris Voss, who uh, was an FBI hostage negotiator who really revolutionized that field by talking about the emotional component of, you know, it's not like, you go in and say, I'll give you half the hot, you know, I'll give you half the money. You give me half the hostages. You actually have to like, you know, you, you can't actually exist on that like tit for tat level. You actually have to get underneath it if you're going to, if you're going to really. And so now I really have this, I have, it, this has led to two specific kind of thing, things for me. One is that I'm very, very careful when I write a contract or when I, even before I send it to somebody that I've done, that I've, I've, identified all the things that might make the the deal go south and i brought it up i proactively brought it up to the client and said hey are you sure about this and what i find is that builds a much stronger relationship and then the and then i also try to make my contracts to be have as much plain english in them as possible you know like sure. this is what we're you know like rather than that hiding stuff which i think is very very common in contracts um, just because people don't take the time to write them that carefully often, or it's a lot of copy paste or it's explicit, right? I think often people are trying to, um, pull one over on other people by height, by using complicated language in contracts. And so I really try not to do that. And then the third thing is I always think of it. If a client is looking at my contract mid deal, you know, like we're working together and they're going back and looking at the contract. To me, that's this massive red flag. Like I have failed to maintain the relationship because the because they're not going to look at the contract unless they're already pissed off, unless they're already upset. 
And to right. me, it's like, if they're even might, even, even if it seems casual that they're just sort of saying, Hey, the contract says this, something caused them to go back and look at the contract. And that thing that caused them to go back there is probably really dangerous. You know, probably, you know, like the, the, the relationship is already going pretty far south at that point. So I try to be really, really careful um, to make sure that my clients feel, feel loved. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. You talk about people looking at the contract. I always tell people when I'm working on a contract that there's nothing magical about this piece of paper. You know, if anything, it's just kind of a, a way of looking and uh, what everybody's promises are to each other. Um, but the only time it's used um, other than reminding yourselves of your promises is when you have to go to court and use it as a piece of evidence. And even then, it doesn't mean that anybody's going to get what they want. You can show it to the court, but it's really, it really is just a list of who's responsible for what. Um, and it doesn't have those magical properties. And people who are very, who get caught up in the negotiation back and forth of those fine points of the contract, I could see that being a red flag of like, look, if they're going to, if we're going back and forth on all these issues, this may not be the best relationship to be in. Yeah. You know, I, I could see your point on that. Yeah, a friend of mine who I've done some work with, um, she was, I hope this isn't a long story, but anyway, her husband's in finance and in finance, the, the output often is the contract, right? Like, it, you know, like you're negotiating for, per so if they, you negotiate very hard in the finance world, whereas in the consulting world, we don't, right? We're just sort of like, you know, like, do, are we going to work together or not? Because really it's the beginning of a relationship, not the end of a negotiation, right? Right. And they, and they were remodeling their house together and he was behaving with their architect and, uh, and builder like a finance guy. And she's like, no, 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 we have to treat this like a consultancy. Cause you know, like we want to have a relationship with this person. And he's like fighting tooth and nail. He's like, no, you don't understand. They'll take everything from us if we don't, you know, fight and fight and fight. She's like, no, no, no. We're starting a relationship with people who are going to build our home, you know? And it's this, and I think it's, those are very, both valid, but both very, very different ways of viewing a contract. I love that you brought that up because I think that people view the law as being a certain way. And I think especially things like contracts can be absolutely influenced or created by or should be in the same tone as the people who are engaging in it. So there are some contracts that don't have a lot of clauses. It's very straightforward. And then there are others that have tons of fine print and they need to because, you know, with finance, you, there's all these regulations with the Securities and Exchange Commission that if you don't put certain things in there, you're not being appropriate. But beyond those things, also the, the way that different people look at their lives should be in the contract. I think it, it, it's almost as if you can hear the accent on someone speaking from a certain place that that kind of way of being could find its way into a contract. Um, so I find that fascinating and also really important for people. Because I think a lot of people get scared of doing things just when you say contract. Some people don't want to use a contract, which I think is a terrible mistake because they think it's sending a certain kind of message. Right, I see, and Alex, by the way, you, you can't see this because we're not doing a video. Alex is shaking her, I mean, nodding her head furiously. So what, why why are you nodding your head furiously, Alex? Well, now I see a 
contract, and I actually have a very robust agreement that I and my clients sign now to protect both of us. Like it's so super clear what you can expect from me and what I expect of you. It kind of contains a lot of what we have in our book. We talk a lot about how to set boundaries and you know, in my line of work, you can call me, you know, like leadership or life coaching for, you know, driven professional women. Um, you know, women who are professionals are often more used to contract kind of language, like, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is who I'm supposed to be. But now I see it as like, what is your intent? You know, we've, we've talked about getting into political arguments with people and like the kind of people that I won't get into political arguments with anymore are people who like, I really don't believe, I don't feel that there's any kind of good faith in the argument, right? right. There's zero opening for them to willing to really listen and to willing to be changed. They really just want to beat you in sort of this amateur chess game where everybody feels crappy at the end. Totally. <laughs> well, vanquish. Apparently, I just I just read this great article in the New Yorker about why facts don't change our mind, and it and it was talked about how winning an argument actually gives you a healthy shot of dopamine. Um, it, it you know, even if you're not right, you know, like which is I think why people you know there are certain debaters both on the right and the left shows like even like Crossfire that John Stewart took down like ten years ago, right? Yes, like, I remember. That you know, like it's real. Like it's why I like I love to watch John Oliver and, and Seth Meyers because they because they make fun of people that I want them to make fun of, <laughs> and it feels right. good. I'm like, oh yeah, check that out. But, but I'm like, is this really healthy? Is this really you know? Am I really learning here? Am I really growing here or not? You know? Well, you know, I argue for a living sometimes. I actually get paid to argue, and in those situations, I'm very unemotional. And while I care on a professional level, I never get myself ratcheted up. Um, and then when I leave the courtroom, you know, I head to my car or to the subway and I'm just on with the rest of my day. But I do know that there are people, you know, talking about dopamine, there are people who use anger like a drug. And I've got to be honest, I used to be one of those people where I, even though I felt crappy at the end, I've never done cocaine, but I think it might be a little on the sort of like, you get really hyped up, everything's hyper real when you're angry and you feel very important and things are happening at a, the right rate of speed for you. And then when it's all done, you know, you look behind you and people who might have been your friends are no longer friends. Literally things could be broken. You may have eaten things you didn't mean to eat. Um, and, and you also just feel terrible because you, you know, you have that emotional drop off the cliff. And then, yeah, I mean, again, haven't done cocaine, but watched plenty of movies, listened to lots of interviews, feels a little like it might be like that. I'm not asking you to admit to anything. No, I, I actually, like, I can neither confirm the, nor deny that. On the rare occasion I catch a Fox News commentator, I'm like, oh, they're addicted to anger and arguments. And I do think it is a physical addiction to the high and the crash and the high and the crash. I think it's well. This is why I left. In. I left Facebook um, for this exact. I think this is Facebook's business model, essentially, right? Is to is to sow <laughs> discord between, is to polarize and then and and keep people coming back. And I know, like, I would have a hard time sleeping sometimes because I would be thinking through the argument in my head to somebody who was my. I'm holding up quotes here. My friend on Facebook. 
Um, <laughs> and it was often somebody that I didn't really, like I barely knew, you know, like I don't like, how did that person become my friend? And all of a sudden they're occupying like a huge amount of emotional and cognitive real estate um, all because I'm amped up in anger. And I think honestly, if I have one, you know, addictive thing in my life, it has been intensity, not always anger, but you know, drama, dramatic situations, intense situations. Um, you know, I was in daily, I worked as a, as a d designer um, in the daily newsrooms for a, quite a while in, in newspapers. And I loved it because it was just such an adrenaline fueled um, lifestyle. And I do think that I, I, I think you're, I think you're spot on like that anger is, and I think it's actually the modern addiction. I think it's probably what's fueling a lot of, a lot of the world right now. Man, you see it on the news, you know, being topical. You guys, I, I know for a fact that you've been marching and going to, you know, showing up at different protests. Um, and what I love about what I'm seeing from people like you guys and other of my friends who are going out there is that you are absolutely not interested in getting in a fight. You are absolutely not interested in getting arrested. I mean, if you had to, I suppose you would, but this is not what you're about. You just want to be seen and you want everybody to get that this is, well, first of all, you guys are white. I'll call you upper middle class, well-educated, you know, maybe even bougie because like us, you live in Brooklyn. You know, you have a kid, you have a stake in your neighborhood, which is a nice one. But, but you're putting your money where your mouth is. You're not just, you know, I, you know, let me give money to the ACLU or Southern Poverty Law Center. And I would urge people to do that anyway. But you're also just going out there partly for those reasons. And also so that people of color can see there are white people of your class and your, am I misspeaking? Because you're, I, no, I mean, is that part of why you're out there? Or why are you out there? Why am I out there? I'm not definitely not going to get arrested or get hurt, but I do. And I'm, I'm simultaneously like there to support. And I stand between the protesters and the police. I'm a, I'm a skinny white Irish American lady. I'm the least likely person to get arrested or hurt by the cops. So if I can like be the, the buffer, Hey, you were on Oprah. If they hurt you, I mean, it's just, you've got Oprah's phone number, right? No, <laughs> I do not. Oh, geez. I, I was not. hoping you did. I do not. No. Do you know my mom thought I was friends with Oprah? On a completely side note, and I'll get back to this. My mom has, had, you know, she's 95 and she's not always 100% present, we'll say. And I used to do comedy and I visited her one time in Florida and I said, how are you? And she said that she was tired because she stayed up late at my show watching me do comedy. And then I went on too long and I hadn't done comedy for at least a decade at this point. So it wasn't me, but she was very glad that she got to stay over at my friend Oprah's house. And she had a good time there. Mom, Mom had a fun little fantasy <laughs> life there. No, I gotta but tell did, you. <laughs> but did you know that I actually write your name and number on my arm when I go to protests, just in case. I'm like Eric Lawyer, and I write you. <laughs> I should tell you that before I do it, but that's what I do. <laughs> well, that's good. My phone is sadly near me all the time. Um, so that's a good thing, number one. Number two, um, to have a, a tall, attractive blonde with my name and phone number written on her. Sorry, Bob, but I mean, <laughs> that feels good. She Even if it is just for professional reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I, I, go to, 
I go to protest because she she pulls me along. That's the only reason I think I, I get out there, to be perfectly frank. I just like crowds. Like I like I, I get I, I'm a little neurologically sensitive. Oh, you but dislike I have, crowds. I Got dislike it. crowds. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't go to concerts like I, I just, you know, like um, Celebrate Brooklyn is about the closest I've gotten to a conference concert in the last few years. And I sat at the back and it was Ray LaMontagne, who's like super mellow. Right. We were on, a, you know. Okay, so I'm bougie, bougie, yeah, bougie Brooklyn. <laughs> Are you talking about in the Prospect Park when they do the concert? Was it Prospect there? Park? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Just a plug for them. I miss that so much. It's one of the things um, I love I, about living in Brooklyn. Last year, I can't remember his name. I saw this amazing African musician. Uh, he's albino. He's a prince. I think he's from Mali. And the music literally. I'm 58. I must have been 57 at the time. I've been a musician literally all my life. It completely changed the way I look at music. That one concert, wow. I was blown away. And it cost me five bucks. And I was hanging out in the middle of this park with people from all over the world, literally poor to super rich and everything in between. It was the classic Brooklyn experience. And I recommend it for when we can all go back out together, just as a side note. I love those concerts in Prospect Park. Yeah. Am I right? They're but, amazing. But even that, a little too many people for Bob. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we go early so that we can sit in a chair and not on the lawn. And then I go get a beer and like a $15 sandwich. <laughs> Something ridiculous, which right. is also Brooklyn. Uh, right. Artisanal cheese sandwich of some kind. Something. Exactly. Yeah, what I so, do like about what I do like about the protests, though, and and I'm really grateful to Alex for having pulled me along, and she pulled me along to many over the years. You know, um, the Women's March uh, when Trump got elected, and probably a few before that, and some stuff recently this past winter. I remember being very cold this winter in Times Square, whatever that one was for. Oh yeah, Kavanaugh maybe or something. Kavanaugh and the impeachment. Yeah. And anyway. What I like about it is I, I do think that there's power in people being together and like really, f and, and, and I think, and I, and I do like what also what you're saying, like just being seen, just being visible um, and, and being out there. Like I was so moved and I know Alex was really disappointed not to have made it, but the, um, the uh, Black Trans Lives Matter March that was at the Brooklyn Museum right around, the, right next to, right on at Prospect Park. They had 15,000 people there this weekend all yeah. dressed in white or most of them dressed in white. And it was like, it's just so moving. It's just, it just like, and I think honestly, again, kind of going back to the law, like there's this, okay, we're going to change the law. We're going to repeal 50. And, and so we can know when, when cops are, you know, we can see cops performance records and complaints against cops. So that's the law. That's the thing we want to change, but that gets changed because people come together because people pull together and because people like breathe and feel and exist together in this really powerful way. And I think one of the most moving and most exciting things for me in the past several months has been seeing that spike in approval ratings for Black Lives Matter, like something that I've been tracking and believed in and gotten in <laughs> lots of Facebook arguments about, um, you know, for, for years, all of a sudden it's sort of like the tide turned and people were like, oh, I'm on board, which is both too late and- Thank goodness. Thank goodness, and so wonderful to see. We are supposed to petition our government, which is a fancy way of saying you're supposed to be an active part of democracy to take to the streets, to be a force that cannot be ignored. And there is a lot to be said, you know, I'm a child of the 60s. 
I have memories of watching the protests on TV. There's an argument to be made that Vietnam only ended because enough people just kept getting in the streets, enough people burned draft cards. There was such a popular movement against the war that LBJ, you know, Johnson, the president at the time, could not ignore it. So I do like the idea of everybody moving out to the streets. Look, you and I know people who are trans. You know, every time some group makes a move up on the ladder, whatever that ladder may be, they're still- Human rights. Let's call it the human rights ladder. That's good, I like that. We, I feel we have an obligation to put our hand down and lift everybody else up, you know? Um, look, I, I'm a Jewish kid from Long Island. I never went hungry a day in my life, <laughs> um, except when I was dieting. And I didn't really worry about my life in any way, but you know, only a short time, a couple of decades before I was born, being Jewish was a terrible thing in certain places. And I really can't forget that. That's like in my DNA, it's in who I am that I always think that I need to help people because that's, I'm grateful that I'm here. Because, you know, but for accidents of birth and some very good transportation moves by family members long before I was born, I might not be here. And I feel like we're, the the good news about all of this stuff, as disheartening as some of of it is for me is, I feel a lot like we're exposing what's always been there and now we have an opportunity to do something about it. What do you guys think? I feel like I've been talking a lot. I'll probably edit this. What do you guys think? Well, at the heart of it, our book, and you know, this is something we've been working on for a few years, you know, writing it. It's finally coming out in August. Our book is about helping people have really hard conversations so that they can either build empathy and relationship and come together or they can realize that they are not compatible in some way but in a kind safe container an an actual fair safe container it sounds like it's a great book for people who are coming out a great book for people who look like they're entering the next step of a relationship whether that's let's get married or i think this is over (laughs) <laughs> which you know those are both next steps in relationships we used it to plan or to decide to get married and then plan the wedding and then we've taught it to other people who were planning their wedding and like <laughs> huge life moves are yeah. a, great, a great place to use this conversation and one place this really interacts i think actually with the law and with contracts and in many ways it serves a similar purpose is that one of our sort of fundamental observations or beliefs about relationships is that much most relationship difficulty um, happens because there's been a missing conversation. And so sometimes the conversation that's missing is one that exposes someone's intention, someone that builds empathy, that builds, you know, like, oh, I didn't realize you were looking at it this way and you needed this thing out of this. You know, like classic is like you're going on vacation, one person wants adventure and one person wants at once, you know, relaxation, you know, like, oh, I thought we were both wanting adventure. That's why I was suggesting ziplining every day. And I didn't, you know, like, and I don't know why, you know, like, 
it's just sort of like, and it's just sort of like, oh, I didn't realize you wanted to relax. Like, let's, all right, let's arrange that. Let's do one day on, one day off, or let's figure it out. And often people just forget to have that conversation, forget to even get in touch with their own needs. So sometimes there's a missing conversation. And then sometimes I think to your point as well, the missing conversation is, whoa, we better not go on vacation together. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, like, thanks. Uh, you know, let's go on separate vacations or let's part entirely. Let's never, let's not even be in relationship to each other. And, you know, much of the difficulty in my life has come from, you know, like holding on to a relationship that probably just should have been lovingly let go, you know, like two years before it, it, it blew up. Kind of thing. A lot of us, a lot of us. Yeah. I'll speak for myself and almost <laughs> everybody else. Yeah, a lot of us. Sure. I, yeah. But I think contracts also kind of serve a similar purpose, right? You know, it's sort of like you're, you're there to kind of make sure that like one of the things I really appreciated about having you look over contracts is you're like, well, who does own the rights to, you know, intellectual property that gets created as a part of this contract? Like that's an important conversation. And if we, if we don't have the conversation, um, you know, it can default, you know, like the law can be written in such a way that it can default in certain directions that aren't that one party loses and one party wins, or, you know, often people hide stuff into their contracts or that are just, you know, like I, I, I'm a little you know, like one and two or three person operation, usually sometimes dealing with multinationals. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to sue them. If they try to sue me, I'll give them all their money back. You know, like, I'm not, you know, like, like, I'm not going there. Like, that's not my, it's not worth my time. You know, um, right. these are conversations so, that have to be had. They're either yeah. going to be had now or they're right. going to be had later. And when they're had later, it's, it's far worse, far worse in my experience. Worse. You know, unfortunately, I have to wrap it up soon. Um, yeah. This time went flying by. But um, I love that this book, what it has to offer, is not in opposition to having contracts or having legal support, whether it's an attorney or some other way of having legal support. It's actually, it, it's very supportive of that, it seems to me. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, I mean, it's basic conversation fundamentals that I think a lot of people don't get training in. And it's a really simple set of tools that lawyers, wedding planners, um, counselors, and therapists are using in their own lives and in their own work. So it's just, it's like, here, here's a great tool that really works. That's really easy, like plunk it in into your important next conversation, whatever that may be. Now I see that it's being released on August 11th. Is that, is that the date? That's the date. That is the date, but it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. Yes. Ah, that's great. <laughs> so people can literally just go to amazon.com, look up Alex Jameson, Bob Gower, or uh, the title, which is Radical, Radical Align. Alignment. Yeah. And probably the easiest thing to do is actually go to our website now, which is radicalalignmentbook.com. And you can download a free chapter. It'll also tell you, you know, like, and then it will, will tell you right when it releases and you'll get, you'll get, you know, we're also publishing a bunch of extras and doing courses. We're doing a, we're doing a whole lot of things around this. So it's probably best to, to start with the website and then you can be there in the middle of the ecosystem. I love it. You're not just dropping a book on people and saying, good luck. You're also saying this is a way of being and we have tools available that sounds really cool and i can vouch for you guys which uh just because i've known you for years as friends and clients and that uh, this is a natural outgrowth of who you are which i think is very exciting mm -hmm. so thank you guys thank you guys for being on is that really legal i'm so thrilled that we were able to talk about this thanks for having us 
So there you have it. Uh, Alex Jameson, Bob Gower, uh, lovely people, interesting writers, uh, great book. Check out RadicalAlignmentBook.com. You'll be able to order the book. You'll get extra information and just extras that will be available to you. It's useful and fun. Their writing style is very approachable, just like they are. Also, remember to approach Abe's Muffins. You don't have to be careful when you approach them. Grab them with both hands, take them home, put them in your face. You will be happy that you did because they taste great and they won't kill you. So uh, if you have any questions, comments, want to interact with me in any way at all, I'd love to hear from you. Go to isthatreallylegal.com, send your comments to me, send your questions. Uh, about this episode or any episode or anything. I will pretend I know the answer to any question you have. So I look forward to hearing from you and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Many more interesting episodes coming up. Stay tuned and be well. Thank you. Bye-bye.